Good morning, everybody. I don't know about you, but I feel like we've been having a good summer. Um, how, do you all feel that? I mean, I may be alone, but I'm like, I'm having a good summer. Um, I feel like our gatherings have just been good this summer. Uh, our speakers, starting with Danny Wright, the students, y'all knocked it out. And then our last sermon series on identity has been good. The worship team has been great. Um, not just performing, but really leading us into the presence of, of God and, and worship and through the Holy Spirit. And I, to me, this summer has been a good reminder that the energy and the power and the movement of the church has never depended on one person or one leader. It has always depended on the power and the presence of Jesus Christ in his spirit. Amen? And, and so it's this powerful reminder that even though we love our leaders, love Adam, I'm so glad he has this time away. We really are. Our staff, we're celebrating it. Um, it was, we were talking about it this week, and it's hard to, it's like there's four Sundays, there's four weeks left. We're over halfway done with Adam's sabbatical. We're so glad that he's got the rest and renewal and time for refreshing in a way. And, but at the same time, to me, there's this sense of anticipation and I think for some people, it's kind of like, is there a big announcement that's waiting? Like when Adam gets back, or is there this big announcement? And then, spoiler alert, no, there's not, okay? Um, there really isn't. But I can't help but feel that God has been moving. And God is doing something beneath the surface. The last few years have been hard. Not just COVID. There's been several things our church family has really had to deal with and wrestle with, and it's been hard. But God, in the, even in the midst of this, God has been doing some beautiful things, some hard things, but some beautiful things, life transformation. And I can't help but feel that what God has been doing beneath the surface, that it's about to sprout, and it's about to flourish, and there's this harvest that's, gonna, that's coming. And it's coming. And we get to be a part of it and what God is doing in and through us. And it's right there. And I hope you have that sense of anticipation of what God is doing through his church, but also through and in you. That leads us kind of to this sermon series that we have. This, this is our last sermon series before Adam comes back. And it's called Beneath the Surface. Um, beneath the surface, what's going on? Most of the time as Christians, I, I think we find ourselves kind of worrying and consumed with above the surface things, uh, above the surface things, like what we do, um, how we treat other people, how you know we eat and drink. Are we eating too much, drinking too much? Are we eating and drinking the right things? Um, mostly too much and no, not the right things on my part. But we get consumed with the above the surface things, our experiences, but who we are consists of so much more than what people see. See, our lives, this is not a new illustration, but our lives are a lot like an iceberg where what is actually seen above the surface, our behaviors and our habits and all these things that we actually spend the vast majority of our time worrying about. And there's so much under the surface that's actually bigger. And 
we think that our circumstances and the, the habits and our experiences and these things, that this is the source of our joy. This is our source of happiness and contentment. If I can just get this right, if I can get this balanced enough, if I can get myself in the right kind of situation, then I will have peace and joy and happiness. But the truth of the matter is peace, joy, and purpose is found here, underneath the surface. But because of that, the things that derail our lives, the things that cause fear and anxiety and depression, insecurity and loneliness and self-doubt, they lie beneath the surface. And what, like an iceberg, what lies beneath the surface is actually what's the most dangerous part. It's not the top part where we crash in and our life finds itself in crisis and we find ourselves in turmoil. It's what lies unseen. Our beliefs, our identity, the habits and the patterns of thinking and our emotional health. And so this series, we want to really focus in on the emotional health. What is going on beneath the surface? What is it that's unseen? Because I think so often, you know, we, we kind of get in this mode where Jesus is concerned about what is seen. He's concerned about what I do and what I say and, and what happens. And I get baptized and I hope that he'll just take care of all these things above the surface. But the truth is, Jesus doesn't just want to fix what is seen. He wants to transform all of you. He wants to transform all of us. Not just our behaviors, not just our habits, but he wants that deep inner life healing that is at the heart level. Because that's where anxiety lives. This is where fear and depression and all these negative emotions that boil up inside of us live deep in our hearts. And we need to ask ourselves questions when it comes to giving over our emotional health to Jesus and looking at the inner life. What does Jesus have to say about the inner life? What does he have to offer? Can Jesus really help me process the inner life and help me experience the peace, joy, and purpose that I need? And the answer is yes, because, I mean, Jesus points out, he says, you know, out of the mouth, where does it flow from? It flows out of the heart. He had a deep awareness of how important the inner life is. Our emotional health is of supreme importance. You cannot be emotionally unhealthy and be spiritually healthy. A lot of us, you know, we, we go, yeah, I don't, especially as Christians. We, we have this tendency to kind of like, I don't want to wear my emotions on my sleeve. I want everybody to think I'm happy. I want to encourage people. And it's not necessarily that we're just trying to hide. It's just, I don't, I don't want to bother other people with what I'm dealing with. And so we kind of just pack it away. We put it in the closet and we shut the door in the inner part of our lives. And Jesus is like, I'm knocking and I want in. In our emotions, God is an emotional being. God the Father, 
Jesus the Son and the Holy Spirit, throughout scripture, we see they experience emotion and God steps into that emotion and being created in his image means, guess what? We experience emotion and it's a good and healthy thing. Whether it's a negative or a positive emotion is not good and evil. It's revealing to something to us. It's warning our hearts of danger or it's warning us of damage or it's highlighting the joy and the happiness. And it's important for us to be able to process and examine and experience our emotions in a healthy way. Because when we experience our emotions, no matter what it is, in a healthy way, it's a blessing to other people. When I can be angry, but then I can go, why am I angry? And recognize it and process it and connect with people and be open about it, it's not just for me, it's, it's for the whole community that it makes it better. When we learn to be attentive to our emotions and discover what Jesus, with Jesus, what is bringing our attention, we learn about our identity and the values and the cultural lenses that Jesus has. And we learn to take those on. So much of the harmful aspects beneath the surface come from our culture, from our past experiences, from our families of origin, things being passed on. And Jesus wants to redeem this part of your story too. Today's text that we're gonna study and look at together is um, the story of Cain. This is one of the most complex psychological stories that you find in scripture. When I was growing up and I remember the story of Cain and Abel, I remember just thinking, okay, early on, hey, guess what? It's bad to kill your brother. Don't do that. And that's why I was like, okay, I'll try not to kill my brother. He was older, so I was like, well, that's probably not gonna happen. I'm the one who's gonna get it. That's kind of how I processed this story. It was just kind of like, killing's bad. Okay, let's not do that. But there's so much going on in the first, chap first chapters of Genesis. From chapter one to chapter 11, there's this pattern and there's this sequence that's going on that we are supposed to be learning. And it starts, Cain's story doesn't start with him and Abel, it starts with Adam and Eve. You remember, God created Adam and Eve. And he, well, he created the world. And he had the world and he brought it to the world to this flourishing. And there was the region of Eden. Eden wasn't the name of the garden. He created the region of Eden. And in the middle of Eden, he planted a garden. And this is where he put the man and the woman. And he existed, God's presence there in the garden. Life was good. It was perfect. You know, no, no needs. And, and it was good. And this is... It's like the temple where God existed with his people. And Adam and Eve are there. He says, that tree's good. That's a tree of life. Eat that. And that tree, don't eat it. The knowledge of good and evil. And Adam and Eve, they go some time and they eat of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. And we know the story, how God comes. He comes into the garden and Adam and Eve are hiding from one another and they're hiding from the presence of God because of their sin. And God goes, Adam, where are you? And Adam steps out and he goes, 
I'm here. Why are you hiding? Because I'm naked. I did something bad. And God's like, who told you you were naked? I ate the fruit, but she gave it to me. And Eve goes like, come on, you know? And Eve goes, the serpent tricked me. But they tell the truth when God comes and he asks them. And, and God pronounces the curses, okay, to the serpent, to the woman, and to Adam. And God takes Adam and Eve and they leave the garden. But the picture that you have is they still live in Eden, the region, but they're out of the garden. They can no longer live in the presence of God. And so they're just out in Eden, in the region. And while they're here and they start to cultivate, Cain and Abel are born. They're not born here. They're born in Eden. Imagine, especially if you're a parent, imagine you have Cain, who's a five-year-old curious boy, and he's working the fields with you and he's looking and he goes, Daddy, what's that over there? Imagine being Adam. That's the garden. What's the garden like? Have you ever been in there? Yeah, it's beautiful. It's really good. Can I go in there? No, you can't. Why can't I go in there? I imagine Adam can't talk because your mom and I made a mistake. And imagine you're Cain and this is the story you hear alongside your dad working all your life. And then after a time, Abel is born as well. And there's a different dynamic. By the time Abel is born, I think Adam and Eve and Cain, they've got kind of life figured out here and Abel's watching his brother, and Abel watches the flocks. He's tending the flocks. Cain is the farmer, and years go by. Cain and Abel have families at this point, okay? Like, they're older. They're not just kids. These aren't little kids. These aren't probably teenagers. They're grown. And this is where we come into the story that we see in chapter four. So put yourself in Cain's place. In Abel's place, living in Eden, right next to the garden. So in verse three, Genesis four, chapter three, says, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. The image we're meant to understand is you've got Cain and Abel who live in the region of Eden. The garden's right here. And this is the, where the presence of God is, right? In the garden. And so they're taking these offerings to the edge of the garden probably. And they leave their offerings. And God looks at Abel first, it says, with favor 
not just his offering, he looks at Abel. And Abel finds favor in his offering. And God looks at Cain in his offering and does not find favor. The problem, the difference between the offerings wasn't what they were because Cain, this is what he has. He's a farmer. It's not the problem of having fruit and vegetables versus having an animal sacrifice. It is the condition of the heart of Abel and Cain because Abel brings the fat portions, which is the best, and the firstborn, which is the most costly. It's the most costly for him. So he brings the best and the most costly, and this is what he offers God. What does Cain bring? He brings some. He just brings some of his, what he has to offer. And it doesn't say that God hated Cain. It's just that Abel found favor. God was more pleased with his offering. And because of this, Cain is angry and he's disappointed with what happens. So let's read verse six and seven now. What's gonna happen? Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. So Cain's emotions, his anger and his disappointment are indicating there's a problem. They're not the problem. They're indicating that there is a problem going on. God doesn't call him out for his emotions. See, when I, I used to read this and think God is going, why are you angry? Why are you, you know, downcast? Just do what's right. I think God is asking, he's like, Cain, why are you angry? Why are you disappointed? And causing Cain to really ask, what is going on? Why is, why is this emotion being built up inside of him? And he just gives this reminder. It's like, if you do what is right, if you do what's right in the Lord's eyes, will you not find favor? So choose to do what's right. But if you don't, sin is ready to pounce. And it wants you, it wants to devour you. And we know that there are consequences because of sin. The consequences that his parents had encountered having to leave the garden. Negative emotions rise up when things feel wrong. But that doesn't mean the emotions are wrong. They highlight to what is going on and we have to ask why. Why are these emotions here? What is it, the response that I need to do? And the question is, will you do what makes you feel good or will you do what is good in the eyes of God and what is good for everybody in the, the community? That's the question. What does Cain do? Verse eight. It said, now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? There's two things to note. 
in Cain's response. One, unlike his parents, when God confronts Cain, he lies about it. I think this is significant. When God confronted Adam and Eve, he said, well, this is what happened. When Cain is confronted, he lies about it. The pattern, when we follow into the pattern, things get worse, not better. When unresolved issues and patterns from our family of origin and these things that we learn from our circumstances and our, our experiences, they don't just magically get better without being processed, but they get worse. When Cain is confronted with his sin, he lies. And number two, when I choose good and evil for myself, usually it's at the expense of somebody else. Cain decides the problem isn't me, the problem is Abel is better than me and I'm getting rid of Abel. When we choose good and evil for ourselves, human nature is to do it at the expense of somebody else. It may be a family, it may not be, it may be I'm taking care of me and mine, but somebody's going to lose and it's not going to be me. We carry this unhealthy thought, God created a world of abundance, not of scarcity. And Cain has missed it. And so what are the consequences of Cain's sin, of not processing it? Verse 10 through 12 says, the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Adam and Eve were in the garden, but they were forced into Eden. And Cain, living in Eden when he sins, is forced into exile. He no longer even gets to be in Eden next to the presence of God. And he's a wanderer in the wilderness. And he responds to, he's like, you've sentenced me to death, God. Out there, it's, it's beyond dangerous. I'm going to die. There are people out there who are gonna kill me. That's what he says. And he's like, what am I gonna do? I'm a, like, I'm a target, I'm marked. And God says, I'll protect you. And he puts a mark on Cain. And he says, I give you a promise. If somebody tries to avenge you, if somebody tries to kill you, I'll avenge you seven times. So this is this promise like, I will care for you and your family, okay? So, but Cain is cast away even further from the presence of God. And there's this drift. And the story of Cain isn't just about his sin of killing his brother. It's about the consequences of eating the fruit, knowledge of the fruit and evil, good of, the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And how in the generations, when we don't deal with the patterns of unhealth, when we don't deal with the emotional consequences, when we don't learn these things and seek in the unseen places to give it over to God, it doesn't just get magically get better. Because Cain's story continues after Cain is sent out to the wandering in the wilderness, it continues with Cain's line. 
So Cain gave birth to so-and-so and and they gave birth to so-and-so and it ends with his great-great-grandson, Lamech. Let me read you where this pattern, where this unhealthy pattern of thinking and belief leads to. So this is what Lamech says at the end of this chapter. Lamech says, I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. And if Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. Does that sound like the healthy thinking of a healthy individual? I can do whatever I want because if God will avenge Cain, who was a murderer, then somebody who hurts me, I can murder him and God will take care of me. Doesn't matter what I do. So what do we learn in the story of Cain? There's two things that I think we need to really pay attention to. Number one, we need God's help to process our emotions. We need God's help to process the inner life. Because we stink at it. We think we know what our emotions are. We think we know what it is. We think we can choose what is good, what's going to make me happy. And guess what? We stink at it. We get in the situations that we are because our selfish nature. And there's things that we just do not see. And we need to replace the narrative that of our experiences. We need to replace the narrative that we've been told, either by our family, by other people in this world. We need to replace that narrative with God's narrative and his beliefs, his values. We've got to let God help us transform the inner life because we cannot do it. And the second thing, and to me, this is, when you look at our world, this is the powerful truth that you see happening throughout. The need for transformation beneath the surface isn't just about our own healing, but it's also for those who come after us. Because when unhealthy habits, when unhealthy thinking, when unhealthy emotion is allowed to continue and go, it passes on from generation to generation to generation, and it just doesn't pass on, it gets worse. The consequences are more grave. And you don't just see this in the story of Cain. This is what you see throughout the biblical storyline. The story of the life of King David and his line. You see it repeated time and time again. And if you're gonna hear anything this morning, this is what I want you to hear. What we choose to ignore or what we fail to address, the unhealthy parts in our inner lives will likely become an even greater problem in the lives of our children and our grandchildren. It's not just about you. What we choose to ignore and what we fail to address in our inner life will likely get passed on to those we love most. And it will affect them even more. It's not just about you. It's about your family. It's about those who come after you. It's about the world. If we want our 
community transformed, it starts with me and you being transformed from the inside out. And the question is, do we have the courage to do that? It is hard work. It can be painful work to open it up to the hurt and the trauma that we've experienced. Sometimes there are wounds from when we were long ago, decades ago, and we're like, I'm done with it, it's over. Nope, I'm not touching it. But the truth of the matter is those wounds and the patterns of thinking that came from them continue on and they linger. And until you're really willing to give over even that to Jesus, to let him help you process it, until you're willing to go, everything is yours, Lord. We will continue to struggle with it. And guess what? Our kids will continue to struggle with it. And it's worth it. If, if nothing else, not for you. If you go, I can bottle it up. I can bear it. You know, I can wear it. You know, like the iceberg. You know, I'm just, I can make it look good. Bring that slide back up. I can make the scene look good. I can get by until I die. And people just won't know. And because what they see will be good, that'll encourage them, it'll be fine. And that's not how the world works. That's not how your family works. What is unseen will get passed on as well. And the question is, do we have the courage? Do we have the courage to step in and allow us to be broken at the in, in our heart level to the unseen places. Psalms 34, 18 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. We have to step into the hard things. We have to be willing to do that. So my challenge to you is, are you willing to let Jesus not just fix this, but transform all of you? Because this is what he wants. And if we step into that and we allow him and give him that space, he will bring healing that is deep, he will bring healing that just has an earthquake and ripples out. If you've been feeling unsettled, if you feel like the spirit has been stirring in you and there's something going on, there's something he wants to do, be courageous. Step into it. Don't be afraid to ask the hard questions. Don't be afraid to say, I need help because you cannot do it on your own. God's spirit is here. God's people is here. This is part of what microchurch is about. Being a part of a community who are seeking God together and being vulnerable and being a place of healing. This is what our, a lot of our classes are about. We're gonna have a class called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. It is an amazing class. My microchurch, we did this um, a little while ago. It was transformative. 
not just for me, for so many of us in our group. I invite you to sign up for that class. It's one of those classes, if we have five people, if we have 50 people, doesn't matter how big, we can do the class. And if you're, if you're like, I know I need to, I don't want to, then that means you need to go sign up. You can go sign up right out those doors today for that class. I wanna challenge you to take a step towards a greater giving over to Jesus. Let him do the inner work. We've got three more weeks, so I'm gonna stop talking. Um, But lean into this sermon series of the self-examination and asking Jesus and the Spirit important questions. Where is it that you wanna work? Where is it that I need to hand over to you? And lean into it and step into it. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your presence your love and how you've just chased after us. You've you loved us and you're not content to leave us. Be who we are. But it's not about us earning your praise or your love. It's because you care deeply. Not just about what is seen and by other people, but you care about the deep healing, the deep transformation that needs to happen. And I am thankful, Father, that you promised that not only are you good, you are always with us. When it hurts, when it's joyful, you are always with us and you are ready to stand and heal and love. So, Father, I pray that as a church family, as individuals, that we would lean into what you are doing in us so that what we have to offer the world is true, it is authentic, and it is real. People who know, who love Jesus, who have experienced change and transformation, and that we have that to really offer. So Father, do that work in us so that we may be light. Lead us through your spirit, and it's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you, everybody. I want to remind you that uh, Miss Del Rose will be out here and also down in 106. Go say hi. Go encourage her as well. And as you go out this week, go be salt and light in a world that desperately needs it. Thank you. <laughs>